0: Hello, buddy Josh Neighbors here, Locked On Nationals podcast. Today it is the sixteenth of May, twenty twenty two, and joining us today it is Matt Wyrech of NBC Sports Washington. We are talking Juan Soto and Michael Franco. A couple different conversations we're going to have today about those guys coming up with Matt on the show today. Hope you all enjoy. <laughs> daily Washington nationals podcast, part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day. Once again, I am Josh neighbors. He is Matt Wyrick from NBC sports, Washington. He joins us every single week. Uh, Matt, thank you for joining us. And first off, you were at two of the games this weekend. I have to ask, it felt like there was a bit more energy at the ballpark this weekend than we've seen in past for the Nats games. Is that, is that fair?
1: I'd say it was pretty fair. I mean, with the Astros in town, certainly fans are going to be excited. It was the first time since the 2019 World Series that the Nationals and Astros had played each other, and also Nationals fans' first opportunity to boo the Astros since the cheating (laughs) scandal uh, enveloped over that 2019-20 offseason. So they came out in full force and booed them mightily. Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman probably catching the most boos. Uh, out of everybody although I will say uh, of all the announcements over the weekend the man who was booed the most was Angel Hernandez when it was announced mm. he would be uh, behind home plate for Sunday afternoon's game so uh, while he wasn't part of the cheating scandal he certainly doesn't have the favor of the Washington fan base
0: and look every on Mrs. Calls has just get a lot more attention uh, I mean he's he's bad like he's not he's not very good but he had so he had a couple of really bad ones the the Yadiel Hernandez strikeout curveball I mean it was a decent frame and those pitches that start high and go lower are always, in my opinion, the easier ones to frame, right? Because the glove is just kind of moving in that direction. And so if the catcher can stop it kind of on the way down, like in that spot and not kind of have like the, re- the you know, the rebounding of the glove, they're in a good shape. So I get that one, but that's not, that's not surprising. Uh, that is, is not surprising at all that uh that he got the big booze. I just think it's interesting somebody somebody in our comment section was talking about, you know, how the the two teams like their rosters are different. I mentioned this too. Um the Nationals had a long stretch where they were contending for titles. Uh you know, I mean, I think the the upshot of making the playoffs is if you make it, you can win, right? And the Nationals won a bunch of division titles from 12 to 19 and ultimately did win a World Series. The Astros have done a great job extending that window, right? They've had a really nice window, but um you know, I know Springer is gone. I know Correa is gone, but they still kept a lot of that core around, right? Um, you know, the Bregmans of the world, uh, the Altu's of the world, the Gurriels have, you know have come up, the um, Jordan Alvarez's who have, have come up too. So they've maintained. Verlander. Yeah, Ver- I mean, oh, yeah, Verlander too. Good lord, um, I mean, how how good is he now? He he had a bad day yesterday, and he was still awesome. And so you know, it's it's interesting to compare the two teams, like. I think the Astros have done a pretty good job of managing that window and keeping it rolling in some ways. They're not quite, they're not even close to being the juggernaut they were before, but like they're a team that's still really competitive, has done a good job adding pieces. It's just kind of interesting to contrast those two teams we just saw them play.
1: Yeah. I mean, they've been in the ALCS, what, five straight years? I mean, this is, it's a dynasty by every stretch of the word. I mean, obviously having a cheating scandal mired in the middle of it taints that overall reputation, especially when we look back. Uh, in five, ten years is to kind of judge this overall dynasty and how it stands up against others. But, you know, they've been about as dominant as any other team in sports over the last five years. I mean, you know, you, you think of the Warriors making it uh, to the finals four straight years. You think of uh, the Patriots and Tom Brady, you know, having that run of AFC championships. The Lightning the, back, the to Astros back to
0: that recent memory. Yeah. Yeah, uh, they're yeah, still they're still in um, it now this year too. They're still they're still in it. Yeah,
1: just just barely beat the Leafs. That was a great mm-hmm. series. But that was a good series. Uh, you know, I, I think the Astros right now are, are as far as current dynasties go, probably the the best or maybe the second best behind the Lightning uh, in all of sports right now. So you you got to really count them uh, as a successfully orchestrated uh, window here. You know, you could say the same about the Nationals, but ultimately. Uh, When you only win one playoff series over an entire, or one, I should say, you only advance in past one one year, you advance past one playoff series. Uh, You know that's hard to call your team a dynasty, but certainly as far as regular season wins went, uh, the Nationals are one of the better teams in baseball over that span.
0: Uh, All right, so let's talk about some specific guys here, and Juan Soto is the first one. Um, The one thing I've noticed is that he is. You know, he's still obviously really tough out. Like I mean, the word tough out is applies to baseball, especially because like, you know, as the goal is to get him out, Um not as difficult as it has been in the past. I'm trying to remember specific, specifically when they happened, but there were a couple counts where it was three Oh or three one and three Oh yesterday. I know he was up against Verlander and Verlander worked his way back and got him to, got him to fly out. And then it happened again, I think on Saturday night too. Um, you know, what do you think's up with Juan? Because his numbers look that they've gotten better. He's hitting for more power, but um, you know, you can have some more success against him. Like he's not as challenging to get out as it felt like he was last year.
1: I mean, yeah, look, walks are going to happen for Juan no matter what. He's always going to get his walks. His on base percentage is just below four hundred right now. It's one mm-hmm. of the best in baseball, and is going to continue to be one of the best in baseball because that's just who Juan Soto is. But He has expanded out of the zone a little bit. He's been swinging at pitches more often that are outside the zone than maybe he has uh, in other seasons. I believe his outside-the-zone swing rate is his highest since 2019. Uh, So 2020 and 2021, he was able to be a bit more selective Uh, And, you know, we've seen this from Juan before back at the trade deadline last season, right after ever all those veterans were shipped off to other teams. Soto went through a little bit of a a slump. And, you know, this is in the middle of this second half that he had last year that was downright historic. He was the first player to have a uh, on base percentage over 500 in the second half since Barry Bonds. I mean, it was it was an all timer. But for a good 10, 11 games, you know, he really struggled to kind of grapple with the fact that this was his team now. Uh, and every, you know, pitchers were going to avoid him at all costs. And he had to be uh, as selective, continue to be as selective as he had uh, with his pitches. And ultimately, he was able to come around and be that guy. But, uh, you know, we're seeing it this year. He, he is He's going a bit out of his comfort zone this year to make things happen. He's taking big hacks and, and missing big. I mean, he still has eight home runs on the year. He's off to a better right. start you know, through 36 games than he did last season. Uh, But, uh, you know, the overall, the consistency isn't there in in coming through in in clutch situations. I mean, he's a sub 100 batting average with runners in scoring position this year. That's just not what we've expected to see out of Soto. And and certainly, you know, you can tell that this guy who's, you know, literally only 23 years old is putting a lot of pressure on himself to come through because the Nationals just aren't seeing it on a consistent basis from the lineup.
0: Yeah, and you kind of wonder, like, where does that, where is that coming from? This pressure he's putting on himself, and you you could see it too. He has been really frustrated with himself pretty visibly on the field at times. Um, you know, now somebody might counter and say, look, the, the numbers in May are really good. You know, he's 288 uh in the average department, but 373 on base compared to 406 that we saw back in the first month of the season in April, and that was 79 ABs. And look, these are not huge, huge stretches of numbers, but I kind of like to do the month stats. I think it's just always a good snapshot of where in time of where a guy is. It's always usually a nice, pretty sample, pretty good sample size. Right. So we're halfway through May now. And then, you know, on the other hand, the slugging percentage is up and the OPS is up. So I think that you're, you're seeing, like you mentioned, like when a guy this talented does press at times, like he'll come up big. He'll re- he really will come up big. We've seen a lot of moments of that. But you mentioned the, the, you know, the guys on base situation, like this is almost, this almost feels like it's a situation for this Nationals offense, which actually is in some metrics has been decent at times. It feels like it's really not, um, you know, it almost feels like, Hey, your job should be to get on base for Josh Bell. Who's the, who's the real bat in the lineup, which is the funny thing to say, you and I have talked about this, but like, that should kind of be the aim, right? And it, it looks not like he's not getting on base a ton. It's just you know, his, his, he's not getting on as much as he was last month. And I think, feel like it's a bit more noticeable the ways in which he's pressing right now.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think the, the big difference there is that in the first month of the season, it was Nelson Cruz who was sitting behind him in the lineup. And now they flip-flopped and it's Josh Bell. Cruz of course was struggling mightily over that first month of April uh, and no pitchers were willing to face Soto because they knew they could get Cruz out in the next at bat. Now he's facing, you know, pitchers where they're actually challenging him uh, a little bit more Uh, maybe not with a lot of pitches inside the zone but you know trying to get him to chase especially upstairs and so far he's been willing to do that Uh, you know Bell is is, is hitting as well uh, as he has in his entire career so you know Soto knows that if he can get in scoring position Bell's a guy uh, that can hit him in and maybe he's trying a little bit harder to get to second base as opposed to first base uh, as Bell does Mm -hmm. hit a lot of balls on the ground and, and has had a bit of a ground-into-double-play problem, as yeah, has Juan Soto in the past as well. Uh, and you honestly could say the same about Nelson Cruz. All three of those guys uh, have significantly higher ground ball rates than maybe league average. They make up for it in other departments, of course, uh, but those are a lot of guys who, who hit the ball on the ground. So uh, getting past first base into second is a little bit more important uh, given the hitter that's behind him right now.
0: And also the strikeouts, it's crazy to see him at 26. That's one. And, and Josh Bell's at 17. Uh, and yeah, I would say like the Josh Bell issue is more of the grounding, the double plays. Like that has been, that has been the big thing, but I mean, you're going to get that with guys like him, Like you really can't criticize the overall production, um, from him is, is this something that you think persists or do you see it evening out? Because even though we've got a, you know, a, a nice sample size now, uh, on the season and Juan's played 36 games, right? 131 ABs. So it's, it's, it's nice chunk, you know, getting close to 40 games now. Um, I still think it's pretty safe to say like this guy could go on a tear at any moment. It's probably just an adjustment or two. He has to make And look this is a guy who's made a lot of adjustments in his career and has been pretty good, even though he's just 23 years old.
1: Yeah. I mean, look over the first two months of any season where, uh, especially in in cities that are going to be a little bit colder uh, over that first month or so you're laying the foundation for your final numbers. Uh, You know, I think, uh, it's important to note that in 2019, Anthony Rendon had like one RBI going into the final day of April. Uh, then he had 10 RBIs in a game and that kind of uh, skewed his overall total for the month. Uh, but he finished third in, in MVP voting that year after just one RBI over basically the first month. I mean, y- you don't win MVPs in April unless you're Cody Bellinger in 2019, which I will say he basically won that MVP with his April and May numbers and they were just so good uh, that even though he struggled the second half, they were just good enough to kind of carry him over Yelich uh, that season. I think Yelich was robbed for his back-to-back, but that's just me. Um, but, you know, Soto, like I said, last year he, he wasn't off to as good of a start OPS-wise uh, or on-base percentage-wise as he is right now. So if he does, you know, similar things to what he did in the second half last year, he's going to finish with even better numbers this year. And, you know, Soto's going to win an MVP one of these seasons – uh, and I don't see any reason why it couldn't be this one. I, I don't think that anyone outside of Manny Machado is really making a big case for the MVP so far. And, you know, we'll see, you know, if he can maintain that level of production and, and where Soto sits uh, once that we get closer to April, September.
0: All right. August, quick break. So. Oh, yeah, you got No worries. Uh, quick break for <laughs> word from our sponsors and we'll talk about Mike Alfranco. Today's show is brought to you by Bill Barger to com today. It's com promo code lock fifteen. LOCKED15lock15 they have these new birthday cake puffs they're delicious i just actually got a few of them sent to me they taste very good they only have 150 calories 16 grams of protein and 9 grams of sugar it's a limited time at flavors so make sure you guys go and get some now use the promo code lock15 locked15 at built.com today all right so matt the one guy i want to ask you about is michael franco because yesterday he um basically, you know, he got himself to a point now where he is the second leading man on the team in terms of RBIs. And, you know, I didn't say he's not an invaluable part of the offense, but he's a valuable part of the offense now. And so I don't know what the track is for Carter Keebum coming back. You can refresh us on that. But this is not a guy you can just take out of the lineup. But also the defense, like at times has been like really awesome. Uh, you know, he's had some, had some tough plays at times, but like, I would say the more glaring issues on the left side of the infield have come from Alcides Escobar more often than that it feels like compared to a Franco. Uh, you know, if you disagree with that, that's totally fine. But I, I would say like, this is not a guy you can just take out of the lineup. At first I was thinking, okay, he set a nice bar for Carter Kim to, you know, to, to maybe match at this point like I don't know if you can take him out if he keeps up th- this this well
1: you can file this under stats that don't matter but I think it's pretty hilarious okay <laughs> only four players this season have at least 10 doubles in 20 RBIs those players Bryce Harper Nolan Arenado Paul Goldschmidt Michael Franco Talk about some company right there. I right. mean, you know, Franco is not putting up crazy OPS. He's not drawing no. any walks whatsoever. He has nice pop. Uh, you know, he'll, he'll hit the occasional home run, and they will go a long way. We knew this coming in. Uh, but, you know, for a guy who's been hitting primarily sixth and seventh in the lineup, I think the Nationals will absolutely take that. Uh, you know, as somebody who can kind of lengthen their lineup a little bit, because as we talked a lot early on in the season, they were really struggling to get production from that bottom third of the order. And Franco was part of that, but he's settled in nicely. Uh, you know, defensively, he has been a little bit shaky. I think that him and Escobar have both been uh, very inconsistent. Franco's made some incredible plays this year. You know, we yeah. mentioned Manny Machado uh, earlier in the show. He's channeled his inner Manny Machado on some defensive plays this year, making some crazy highlights I didn't know Franco was capable of. Uh, But he's also, you know, thrown away the routine ground balls. And that's something that uh, both him and Escobar have done. And and Davy Martinez has made a a point of emphasis multiple times this year as something that needs to be cleaned up. He says they're both veteran guys uh, and and he wants them charging those balls and, and being more aggressive, not letting the play come to them, but going toward the ball, making plays happen. He thinks that Franco and Escobar are both better when they make plays like that. So, uh, you know, I think overall, the Nationals have to be happy with his production. Things are certainly going to be a bit complicated if he's still hitting the way he is when Kibum is ready to return. He has resumed throwing uh, down in West Palm Beach, but we do not yet have a timetable on his return. Uh, As far as we know, he has not played in any kind of game action to this point. So he's still building up strength uh, in that elbow, which he had multiple injuries to. Uh, Avoided Tommy John, which was, I believe, on the table for him. Uh, in spring training, but does have a mass flexor strain uh, and uh, an overall elbow sprain or something along those lines. Uh, so it was a pretty significant elbow injury for him, and he's still building up strength there. So I wouldn't expect it to be quick uh, for, for him to come back. But like you said, it's going to be difficult to justify taking Franco out of the lineup, especially uh, with, you know, how inconsistent this this overall group has been. You know, the, the bats are playing pretty well. I mean, the Nationals right. offense, it does score in bunches they're undefeated when they score 10 plus runs in a game this year so if, if there is any path to success for the nationals it's score 10 runs in a game uh but you know they do just kind of explode for runs we saw this weekend they dropped 13 on the astros on saturday to snap houston's 11 the problem is streak. they
0: sandwiched those in between a 1 and a 0
1: yeah yeah that they got is the problem shut out on on sunday and as you mentioned only one run on friday so that's just kind of the up and down nature uh, of this lineup you know with uh, Cruz being inconsistent and Soto, you know, going in really only drawing walks for good stretches, uh, you know that's just kind of kind of how things are right now. But this overall, the group, the numbers are pretty solid overall. They're second in the National League in hits, uh, behind only the Mets. So, uh, you know, this group can hit, but uh, it's it's because guys like Franco at the bottom have uh, just kind of
0: all of a sudden putting together big performances. So, you know, just put your, I know, you, you know, people don't always love to do this, but put your, put your managerial hat on and, and this is specific for the nationals. Like, what do you do when Keeboom comes back or with the injury, you know, you know, just think, think of like just playing this out. I mean, it's, it's a weird situation, right? Because Carter Keeboom is the guy with more, I would say youthful cachet in that department, right? He is the higher prospect. He is a guy, the nationals, although it hasn't been great. He's still just 24, right? So there's still plenty of time for it to work for him. Michael Franco is a bit older, this is, you know, probably as good as it gets for him, unless he goes to some other level that we don't know. It doesn't, you know, don't know he has. Um, you know, spin this forward. Like, do you think it's still the right move to put keyboom in that spot, and then, you know, see what happens to Franco or try to move Franco? Like, what do you think is the right thing to do here? I, I think the the nice positive thing here, and I mentioned this yesterday, this does give them options, right? And this is kind of what they wanted out of some of these guys: is if they play well, it gives them options. Hey. We could hang on to a Josh Bell and it's going to cost them more now because of, you know, the, they're waiting. We've talked about that before. Nelson Cruz, right? D strange Gordon. I was never really too high on. I didn't really think that one was going to yield anything in terms of the trade department, but Mike Franco was the other guy. He was a guy I kind of looked at saying mm, with his pop with what we know he can do maybe he finds a nice home here and becomes a valuable asset around the trade deadline. Um, so I think the positive here is that they've got options, but it's an interesting question. You have to think like, if this does persist, what do you do? The team's not going to be winning games. So maybe it's probably smart to go back to Keyboom. But also, you know, you might want to see, hey, should we bring Franco back for a year or two? One year contract, kind of cheap and stick him back there. You know, I think there's, there's a few ways to go here.
1: Yeah. You know, honestly, if it were me uh, with the managerial cap on, slash GM cap, organizational cap, however you want to phrase it. Uh, you know, I would slow play it with Key Boom as long as possible, as long as Franco right. is still hitting. If, if Franco is still putting together solid numbers at the plate, he's hitting for power, he's doing what we expect a productive Michael Franco to be doing. Uh, then you take it slow with Key Boom. Let him build up as long as possible uh, down in the minor leagues, down in West Palm Beach. Send him on a rehab assignment to AAA that really is more of just an assignment to AAA. Have him play down there for as long as possible. You can keep him down there for 21 days. Uh, on a rehab assignment, so you you could leave that whole 21 days. Uh, And then, you know, if if it comes to it, wait until the trade deadline. Uh, Wait until Franco can be shipped off somewhere else. You get a prospect or two for him, and then you have Kibum for the last two months of the season, which is exactly what we saw last year uh, with him getting playing time after they cleared spots in the infield via trade. So, you know, I I wouldn't rush Kibum back by any means. Yes, the Nationals do need to see. Uh, what he can do if he still is able to turn his career around and start putting together some, some strong numbers. But uh, you know, he lost that chance to be their opening day third baseman when he got hurt in spring training, not by his fault, by any means, but uh, that's just kind of, you know, what happened and Franco has run with the playing time. So as long as he's still hitting, I think he still needs to be in the lineup. You know, Kibum is a guy who you obviously want to send down to get at bats to uh, you know, get ready and, and get his timing down and everything like that. But he's not, so green that i think you need to keep him in the minor leagues getting at bats every day you could put him on the bench uh, and give him sporadic playing time in the major leagues kind of like what riley adams is doing because you can benefit from being in the majors even if you are getting sporadic playing time you can benefit in other areas just as adams is benefiting from being around a major league clubhouse and getting used to working with the pitching staff even if being in those meetings, things like that, even if it's not an everyday basis. So I think that you can have Kibum in the major leagues, but not playing every day. And then once a spot is cleared, whether Franco gets injured or stops hitting as well, or is traded, uh, then you you slide Kibum in.
0: Finally, some some pitching notes. Um, so Patrick Corbin, like it was it was going well, and then it wasn't going well. Um, I think he and Josiah Gray did the same thing this weekend. They left a lot of pitches over the plate to a lineup. that's really been hitting very well. And, you know, while Eric Fetty, like there's a lot of problems with Eric Fetty. And I think we, we, we talked about his nibbling issue that he has. That's almost kind of the better way to approach a lineup like this, right. Is, is just, you know, as opposed to Josiah Gray challenging the first hitter he sees and getting taken deep and then challenging the next guy he sees and getting taken almost deep, you know, and, and getting taken deep by Alvarez, Um, that's almost kind of the better approach. I think both those guys kind of, I mean, much better for Josiah Gray. He learned the lesson this weekend. Corbin just made a few mistakes. I felt like all, and I I still think there's a lot of positive momentum there. Um, I, I understand pitch count wise when they brought him back out in the seventh. Didn't feel like that was, didn't still didn't feel like that was the right move. I
1: agree. I, I thought that, you know, he had just given up a home run in the previous inning uh, you know, Verlander was out of the game. The bullpen's been pitching pretty well. Just, you know, pull Corbin out when he, it would have been a quality start, you know, only yeah. two runs, three runs in six runs innings. We'll ab- right. Yeah, you'll you'll absolutely take that. Uh, you know, no need to force him to go seven. Uh, he he had his pitch count down of 78 pitches going into the seventh. So that's not a high pitch count by any means. And a guy of, of Corbin's, you know, veteran stature is someone who would absolutely want to take that ball and go back out for the seventh. And he's even done it going eight innings in a start this year. Uh, but, you know, you want this guy to be putting together, stringing together productive starts. And he had, until this point, three straight starts, all with Riley Adams behind the dish, I might add, uh, in which he had pitched very well. You know, maybe not crazy numbers or anything, but much better uh, by Corbin standards. And, uh, you know, he wasn't in line for the win or anything like that. So there was nothing, you know, nothing like that to kind of influence the decision. I felt like he should have gone with the bullpen. They didn't. Ultimately, he gives up another home run. It really just kind of spoils that outing. Uh, but you know, he, 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 talked after the game. It was very curt, uh, just kind of saying he, he felt good, uh, just didn't make pitches when he had to, uh, you know, I, I felt like, like you said, he left a lot of pitches up over the plate and that's exactly what Davey, uh, has talked about. You know, he said early in the game, pitches were down. He was really hitting his spots. I felt like he did get away with a few pitches over the middle of the zone. His heat map showed that he was drifting up. Uh, a bit towards that middle upper echelon of the, st- of the strike zone there. Uh, but overall, you know, I thought it was a, a solid outing for him and, and then he just kind of fell apart at the end. that was, that was kind of tough uh, for him. He can continue to build and, and, and do well moving forward, but certainly a bit of a step back from the trend that we have been seeing.
0: All right. One more quick word from our responses. We'll get you out of here. Today's show is brought to you by rock auto and Rockauto.com. It's the best place for affordable parts for your car or truck. When you guys go to rockauto.com today, make sure you all let them know that Locked On sent you. They are an auto parts uh, online shop and serving customers for 20 years. You'll spend 30, 50, even 100% more at a chain store or a car dealership than you would at rockauto.com. So go to rockauto.com today. Amazing, uh, amazing selection, always low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. That's rockauto.com. All right, Matt, what are you working on now and where can people find you and your work and all of its variety?
1: Yeah, just uh, taking this team day by day. Uh, Aaron Sanchez is on the the bump tonight. I'll be watching from home with the rest of you, Uh, but looking forward to uh, a winnable series in Miami with the Marlins coming into this series. I believe they're three and 11 in the month of May. So uh, this is definitely an opportunity for the Nationals to string together some wins. We'll see what they can do. You can check out work over at Sports Washington um, and I'm on at by Matt Wyrick.
0: Yeah, it's also a road series. That's why it's winnable too. Uh, the Nats not very good at, at home yeah. so far uh, this year. Very, All right, Matt, appreciate your time as always.
1: Absolutely, thanks, Josh.